the Ghost Goal Podcast. The first half of the Premier League season came to a close this weekend, leaving only a week for players to reset and prepare for kickoff at next week's World Cup. That didn't stop the world's most exciting league from delivering yet again, as we were given a huge upset, a seven-goal thriller, and some last-minute winners to recap this week for you. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 382. Just doing a quick one to uh, check in on the Premier League uh, results, the last ones, like I mentioned before this World Cup kicks off next week. Uh, Javier, I'm sure you're very happy to see Arsenal top of the league at Christmas. Yeah, five points clear. Seems uh, like it was only a few months ago where we were talking about Arsenal struggling to make top four, you know, outside shot for making top four, and... You know, it, it didn't feel like Arsenal had maybe done enough to make that extra push to to secure their place in top four. And now we're talking about them being in the title race in Manchester City. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it is yet. I think, you know, the fact that we haven't played Newcastle, Brighton, and Manchester City in this first half of the season. So we still have two games with Brighton, two games with Newcastle, and two games with City. Um, th- that could change completely the dynamic of uh of the way that you know those, those those are the second and third place team in brighton have been really good they're a top half of the table team so that's six really hard games that we haven't seen arsenal play yet and uh you know if if arsenal were to had to play the second half of the season the, the exact same schedule they just played i think we would win the league but it's not going to be the case so i'm quietly optimistic that we're you know almost a lock for top four with this type of team, the way that we've been playing, the squad oh, we have. On. You're a lock for top four. I mean, that's... Th- You're a lock for so top that, four. I mean, that's Admit great. That then, then then that means this, this season's pretty much already a success. So... I, yeah, you're right. I can't. I can't be like happier with how things have gone. The start was out of my wildest dreams. I could have never thought we were going to go 13, uh, one and one to start the season, dropping points only twice throughout the whole Premier League season. Yeah, like amazing start, you know, unbelievable, and um, sorry, twelve one and one, but yeah, that's just uh, it's exciting for Arsenal, but there's still so much football left to play. There's so much that can happen at the World Cup, and you know, this Wolves game was relatively routine, but when we come back from the World Cup break, every game's gonna be like a cup final for us, you know, because there's going to be pressure on us to keep up the title challenge against Manchester City. And I'm sure when City come back, they're going to be all business. So yeah. And that back half of the Premier League season, when you have the, when you have the lead is, is it's different. It's like the pressure is so much different than when you're leading in the first half of the season, especially with a team like City that you just assume will figure it out and start like bearing down on you. Uh, which is a great uh, transition to Manchester City. They are the, or they were the big upset that I mentioned in the intro. Uh, they lost after a 98th minute winner from uh, Ivan Tony, uh, 2-1 at home against Brentford. It was the shock result of the weekend. And I, I couldn't help feeling as I watched it, like this is one of those games that you can point towards that uh, when you when you make the case about this World Cup in the middle of the season, We've talked about like there's going to be some players who are you know going to be maybe easing off the gas pedal a little a little bit, kind of making sure that they 
you know, don't overexert themselves to the degree that they like lunge into a tackle and get themselves injured for the World but Cup. Pep had a bunch of players that weren't necessarily going to the World Cup. He kept them all on the bench. All of them except for Holland and that that starting eleven for City were are going to the World Cup. So, and it just looked like a listless. I, I, lazy seems like a strong word, but when you're used to Brentford, City good for playing the win. a certain they way, to win. like just watching them against Brentford, the the way they attacked, it was so lazy in regards to they weren't looking for the same quick uh, one or two touch passes that they usually are. They they did this thing in the first half where they were just continuously trying to win penalties. It was when they were down one nil already when Tony had scored in the the 16th minute, and there was like three or four, maybe even five penalty shouts in a five-minute span where they went to VAR, checked it, and it seemed like City players were, like, dinking the ball up once they got into the box. They were dinking it up into the air to try and get past the defender with the intention of, like, the defender handling it when the City player dinked it up. And, you know, luckily, VAR didn't give them a penalty for that because they were all soft at best. They got that equalizer eventually from Foden through a set piece, uh, but then for the rest of the game, they were just playing into Brentford's hands. It was like they they were like trying to just lump balls into the box for Holland to end up on this the end. This was the first drop point City had at home work. this whole season so far. Yeah, They'd but we've won seen every this coming. It was so similar. Far. It was similar to the Fulham game. This was game at home, though. You really they needed they needed a penalty and injury time really to win it. Really would have thought like, with like the depth that, that they had on the bench that Pep could have changed things up. But even in the second half, I mean, like I said, Brentford were good for the win in this. Brentford had four or five yeah. good chances and then in the end I mean uh Tony had an amazing chance for a hat trick I think he got in 1v1 and uh, he could have had four yeah he could have had, he had a so great many chance goals. in the first half but it was already 1-0 that Ederson saved and he had like two good chances after he scored the winner to to get like potentially a fourth or maybe even fifth but you know he ended up with two and that was enough for them to win it's it's the biggest win of the season for Brentford and like you said they were they were worth it. They were worth it completely, you know, despite not having as as many of the chances, as much of the possession. Uh, they just were extremely efficient with when they decided to break. And uh, the other player I wanted to give a mention from that Brentford team was uh, Rico Henry, their, their left wing back. And the pace on that guy, he was just busting a lung to get down the, the left wing on counterattacks and was setting up players like Mbuemo and, and Tony for, for really good chances and he did pretty well defending too. So uh, yeah, just the wrong kind of game for Manchester City. But I'm, I'm personally, I still don't think it's like an actual threat to their title hopes. I, I think it's not great that their players didn't really show up right before the, the World Cup. But assuming that they they don't get many injuries uh, from the World Cup, I think they should come back and, you know, be fully focused on the, their club seasons from there and they'll get right back to what we're used to. How about you? The one thing that I guess is uh, promising for Arsenal is that this City team is going to come back and have to, you know, they still want this Champions League trophy. They bought Holland to win the Champions League. Holland is all about the Champions League. They've been winning the league every year. I'm sure they know they're going to win the league multiple times with Weth Erling Holland here. So I could see them not like easing up, don't, easing don't up, or making or making it easy on 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 Arsenal to win the league because they've been able to go deep in the Champions League every season while you know getting ninety plus points against Liverpool every year. But I do think that there's yes, yeah, so they can do that again. Yeah, this but year. I do think that the games like this show that there is some sort of avenue to making it a title race. You know, not letting it be a one horse race. Um, 
and games like this still give me hope, you know, because I know Arsenal are going to slip up at times, but these slip-ups from City are what makes me think, okay, you know, they're not perfect. They are they can always lose on any given week because this is the Premier League, and sometimes teams like Crystal Palace or, you know, like Fulham or Brighton or Villa can show up and beat Manchester City on, on any given day. So, you know, I'm uh, I'm never expecting it, but, you know, when it happens, I'm not shocked either. Yeah, so moving on to uh, Newcastle, Chelsea, let's just get this out of the way because... Uh... Yeah, just like I wasn't shocked that Newcastle uh, beat Chelsea. Yeah, no one was. I predicted a 3-1 win for Newcastle. So by my prediction, where I said 3-1 in our way-too-early uh, predictions last week, 3-1 Newcastle, we did pretty well. <laughs> we only lost 1-0. <laughs> but yeah, it was another diabolical performance from Chelsea. Maradona just, uh, you know, fucked, fucked your entire back line, took Koulibaly for a joke, and then uh, Joe Willick God. Ripped it into the top corner. See, Javier, I've been telling you for years, Arsenal, you guys have got to start utilizing the secret agent system that Chelsea uh, patented, you know? Either loan or sell some of your some of your Yeah, good, Newcastle's your keeping the players. other teams like United, Chelsea, Liverpool down, letting Arsenal charge up to the title. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're probably going to get, hopefully they give us a couple of wins this season to let us uh, try to beat, you know, get to Manchester City. And uh, they keep taking points off all of our rivals. You know, great, great job from uh, our secret agent, Joe Willick, there. I wouldn't uh, rely on that, Newcastle letting you beat them. Honestly, so much uh, so much props to Newcastle for this uh, for this half, first half of the season. You know, ending the season in third, tied with Arsenal for best defense in the league. Just both of us have only conceded 11 goals in, in 14 games. And, and you're, uh, you're going to hate this, Javier, but I think their defense is better than yours. But they, they also, they don't try to build out from the back as, they're not as insistent on building out from the back as Arsenal are. So, you know, it kind of changes like the difficulty level when they're so committed to when they do win the ball back. If they're, you know, they've been defending deep, everything goes wide immediately or it goes to Bruno Guimaraes. It's never really going back to Pope and then Pope trying to like thread a ball through through the lines or playing like a like a ball out wide. Pope will just pump it long into one of the channels for Almiron or Wilson when he's healthy to run onto. And then in regards to Newcastle's press, it was a similar situation to last week against Arsenal. Chelsea just could not break their press. And you know, there's a multitude of reasons for that. Having Mendy instead of Kepa in goal. And then insisting on playing like that rather than, you know, just accepting the fact that we don't have a keeper that can do that like Newcastle have. Because uh, Pope's not exactly known for being good with his feet either. Well, he's a great shot stopper. Like Potter Mindy, did but... a little bit of a risky lineup, started Broya, Gallagher, Lewis Hall, Mason Mount. You know, pretty much all of your academy players that were available to him started with Kovacic, Jorginho in midfield. Uh, Koulibaly, and who you've been, you know, crying for him to start again, did not have a very good game, and you know, Aspelicueta, re-signing him. Ultimately, I mean, you've been using him a lot this season, so you've definitely needed him, but he's not the best player to be playing at. Was he right back? Uh, so he came on, or he started at right center back, and then Ruben Loftus Cheek, who was at right wing back, got injured three minutes in, and then Aspilicueta got pushed out to right wing back, and he just doesn't have the legs for that anymore. He got taken off at halftime because he, you know, he couldn't hang, and then Pulisic came on, and he's not really, <laughs> he can't really play right wing back either. So 
expect that to be a position that uh, is addressed in January. Yeah, I was about to say there's the, one the, more. It just Reece feels James like there's a lot than, of positions Chelsea need to sort out because there's so much dead weight right now on this team. So many players getting played high wages, quote unquote, big names, players who have had great seasons on other teams, but just haven't had a great season with Chelsea players like ZH, like Pulisic, um, you know, players like Callum Hudson-Odoi, who's over at uh, Leverkusen right now, even players like Loftus-Cheek, Jorginho, Ingolo Conte. You know, there's so many players Chelsea have right now that while they've been amazing for Chelsea in the past or they've had great seasons in the last two or three years, they're just they're not there right now for Chelsea anymore. They're kind of just taking a paycheck, and while they do show up sometimes on, on a given day, maybe one out of five games right now, it doesn't feel like there's play, There's a lot of players right now who are showing up four or five out of the five of games in a row. You know who are showing at high level. It seems like most of Chelsea's players right now are showing up one out of five, two out of five games. Occasionally a really good performance here and there, but the cohesion isn't there. the The work rate. It just feels like there needs to be kind of a clear out uh, of some of the old guards, some of these players who don't fit the system that Potter wants to play. I think you guys got to stick with Potter. You know, don't don't do anything crazy and fire 100%. Potter. Or, you know, you got to give him. If you if you were willing to fire Thomas Tuchel, you got to give Potter a January and a summer before we really judge him as like how good he's going to be at Chelsea. Right. So I've been hearing a lot of people be start start to make the you know the Potter out like comments like mainly Chelsea fans some neutrals as well who aren't necessarily Chelsea fans but you know cover the sport in general and have started you know saying things like oh Potter's under huge pressure now and yes he is under huge pressure from the standpoint that it's the first time we've lost three league games in a row since 2015 we all know how bad that season was I think we finished in like 10th or something that season that is bad and that is obviously below Chelsea's standards but I don't think the just because the new owners were willing to fire Thomas Tuchel at you know such an early stage where he'd barely even gotten to uh, use the players that were just signed at the end of the the summer transfer window like Aubameyang and Zakaria, he had barely gotten to use them and lost a game at Zagreb and then was fired unceremoniously and it came out of nowhere. Now, we learned later that that was kind of like building in the background over the summer, that Tuchel wasn't like engaging with the new owners about like transfer strategy uh, and like team building. He wasn't engaging with them to the level that they desired. So they wanted to bring in someone who they could work with a li- little bit more uh, in that regard. And it ended up being Potter. I don't think we can assume that the same sort of trigger happy mindset from the owners in firing Tuchel is going to apply to Graham Potter, because Graham Potter is their guy. He's the the first guy, at least. Now, maybe I'm wrong, and they're just like Abramovich. I, I guess that wouldn't really surprise me either, and that would be disappointing. I'm just I'm, I'm leaning I'm leaning towards the default at the moment that they're going to give him time, even if we did finish say like eighth place this season and had like a terrible season in the league. It seems like they would still be uh, willing to to stick with him, and you know as our. Arsenal and Arteta fans were saying if Brighton finishes process. above you Potter should be fired <laughs> I don't think Brighton are going to finish above us well they're uh they're right right next to you in the table right now Alex to Serbia yeah, go yeah, I know but it's what like 14 14 games in there's still like 20 plus games to play all right that's enough of Chelsea no more talking about Chelsea for the next six weeks 
God, God damn it, did we need this World Cup break? I'll just finish on that. You know, there are some teams like Arsenal that this is definitely bad to lose the momentum of your season with the six week break. But for other teams like like us, like Chelsea specifically, we we needed this. Hopefully, we can come back a little bit healthier and uh, put a run of results together. But let's go to what turned out to be the game of the weekend. Uh, I was watching this Saturday during that 10 a.m. time slot where there was a boatload of games going on. Tottenham came from behind uh, three different times to tie leads and eventually take the lead late on and win 4-3 in a seven-goal thriller. Did you get to watch this one, Javier? Uh, no, I just I just got to see the highlights later. Um, but it was wild. Yeah, I, it was I'm so sad wild. I missed it. And Leeds had just come off a 4-3 win against uh, Bournemouth the previous week. So right now, if you're watching games with the intention of entertainment, Leeds is definitely the team to uh, to watch. It's weird because even though Tottenham won this 4-3, coming out of it, it still felt like all of the, the my positive emotions during the game of like the, the team that seemed better those would go towards Leeds and most of the negative emotions would go towards Tottenham. I I just think it's another example of Tottenham not really being able to control these games, them overcoming that with, you know, their superior talent at the top end of the pitch. Kane scored in this game. Kulisevsky was a huge part of that, uh, of that comeback. And then Bentancor, he's all of a sudden become like a huge source of goals and like important goals for Tottenham. And he scored two and two minutes in this game to, you know, swing the game from being three two leads to four three Tottenham. So I think he's it, been their player of the season. He's been so good for them. I mean, yeah, he, you he's, mentioned he, that. He's keeping it up now. I don't know about that. I still think it's Harry Kane just because of the consistency of goals. Like he scored in seven straight home games know, in the league. Like I said, I, I always expect that if an Antonio Conte striker, everything goes through the striker and. The wingbacks give him service. The wingers give him service. The midfielders give him like it's just like everything goes through Harry Kane. So I'm not as impressed as I've been with someone like Betancourt, who's doing the defensive work, creating offensively and scoring goals. Like the dude is just jack of all trades right now. Yeah, how many has he got now? I think it's four. I remember he scored one against Leicester, uh, one against Bournemouth right at the end, and then the two here. So correct me if I'm wrong, but he's got at least four in the league, which. For a player who, I, I think it's fair to say goals were not like a part of his his game. Like he would score every now and then, but I feel like he's he's improved in that regard since coming to Tottenham, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, he's still a relatively young player. I think he's only like 23 or 24, so he still can like develop that part of his game and add it. And Tottenham need it. I mean, they haven't been getting too many goals from you know, players like Hyungmin Son, who was injured for this, for Charleston, Kulishevsky didn't score. Yeah, but Kulishevsky's, I think he's their second best attacker yeah, after he's Kane been this great. season. He's been, he's, he's been, incredible. He's a great player for them. They, they need him to unlock, you know, pack back lines and, and in end to end games, he's, he's such a great outlet where he'll take the ball 30, 40 yards down the field, dribble, cut inside, put a, you know, really nice ball or, or cut it back for someone. And they just, they need that from, uh, from someone like who can, who can get them down the pitch, you know, from wide areas, from wide areas. Yeah. That, that's what they need. So the touch that Kulisewski had to get past the, the defender for Tottenham's winner where I can't remember who the Leeds defender was, either Cooper or uh, Koch, the German center back, 
but Kulosevsky, when he like was dribbling, I think he just got to the ball just before the defender was coming in to, to you know, attempt a, a challenge. He just dinked it like over the defender's left leg, twisted his hips so he could just sort of like uh, squeeze past them and then just laid it back, like squared it for Bentancur to pass into the, to an open net. Yeah, the, he's uh, he's playing really well whenever he's he's uh, fit and healthy. So it seems unfair to criticize Tottenham, but I, I still think there's like a huge lack of control. What on about these games uh, what about there a couple players open. we got to mention for uh, for Leeds? Brendan Aronson was pretty good for them again. Crescencio Somerville gets his first start um, and scores in his third game running now. Um, Wilfred Ganato was not as good. We've been hyping him up. Um, but Rodrigo, Rodrigo came was injured for like five or six weeks there, had an amazing start to the season. He's come back. He's now scored in, you know, I think three goals in three games, got a couple assists too, and he's just having an unbelievable season right now. So look at Rodrigo for that second half of the season. If he uh, keeps this up, he could get like, you know, 15, 16, 17 goals like Bamford did a couple of years ago because this uh, lead side's exciting. They get a lot of goals. They create a lot of chances, and Rodrigo just seems like the perfect striker for them. He's up to nine now, I think. So yeah, he's having an excellent season, um, even with that, you know, that long timeout through injury. Um, but the, yeah, there's still huge issues at the back. Like Jesse Marsh is kind of running into the same issues that Bielsa did. They they need to sign like someone, some other center backs during the the, the January window because. Steve Cooper and Robin uh, Cook and uh, whoever else they have. Pascal Struik. It's, it's just not. Yeah, yeah Struik, that's it. It's just not good enough. Like, Melier at least has, like, potential to be, you know, excellent in games, but they, they sometimes put him in positions where there's always, like, runners, uh, like, arriving late in the box, like Bentancourt or, or Davis for uh, Bentancourt's first goal and Ben Davis for his goal. Just all once once you make a run in behind, their defense just collapses towards the goal and just leaves like anyone to just run into the top of the box and and finish a knockdown or, or a, ta- a a square ball from the byline. So there's a lot to sort out uh, there for Jesse Marsh, uh, but still very promising. And like I said, they're one of the more entertaining teams in the league. Tottenham keep doing it, man. Fuck them. God damn it, they keep doing this. They they. Three different times they went down in this game, and uh, they came back, ended up winning it. So they've done that probably five or six times this season, and it's just uh, it's Antonio Conte, man. Because if they didn't have him, I I feel like they'd be mid table right now. But because they have Antonio Conte, they're in the top four. Yeah, but that lack of control I keep mentioning, uh, that's that's going to be the main reason that keeps them out of uh, like a title race. He needs to sort that out if they're going to raise their level to. Yeah, like, they've also title conceded twenty one goals, which is you know right almost more than anyone else in the top half of the table. So, you know, even that's more than Liverpool, United, you know, obviously Newcastle, City, Arsenal, even Chelsea have haven't conceded that many goals. So, yeah, for being known as a defensive team that sits in a low block conceding 21 goals is way, way, way too many. That'll bring us to uh, earlier today on Sunday, uh, Manchester United, their game, which was the uh, last one to wrap up the first half of the Premier League season. They went to Fulham, got a late winner from one of their uh, young starlets, uh, Alejandro Garnacho, in the 93rd minute uh, to walk out 2-1 winners at Craven Cottage. Did you get a chance to watch this one? I did. I watched. Uh, I watched a lot of this one. That was a. Uh, it was a pretty fun back and forth game. I thought Fulham were were honestly good for the draw. 
You know, they had a bunch of yeah. chances. De Gea made five or six really good saves. And if Mitrovic had started this game, I have no doubt Fulham would have won it. But Manchester United have a little thing going right now where, you know, seemingly they've they've been able to find wins out of nowhere, kind of like Tottenham. Um, Garnacho just bursts onto the scene. It's a player that we didn't really expect to be playing in the first team right now at this point in the season. And yeah, good, like really good for him to get these, these types of results. But for Manchester United, they didn't have like that hard of a start to the season. And it, you kind of expected them to be doing a little bit better than they are now. I don't know. I feel like they're right around. The, yeah, maybe well, they are right I around where they, they should be. be. Um, I think this whole Cristiano Ronaldo stuff that came out today, some absolute craziness that uh, interview with Pierce Morgan. Yeah, he said he felt he's felt betrayed by the club and that he's been made the black sheep, which is kind of funny. Like you'd think he'd have enough intelligence to understand that you know his actions also play a role in people making. Can him you the imagine black sheep like you being like United, excited United. to like play with this guy and this guy's pulling the shit and saying the stuff in the media in the middle of your season? Just yeah, it's the final roll of the dice to trigger. United sorting some sort of solution out in January. Now, whether it's selling him or just agreeing to terminate his contract and let him go sign with uh, whatever club will take him, then maybe it's that. But, you know, I think it's the final push just before he goes away for for the World Cup. He doesn't want to come back to Manchester United or like after the World Cup. He wants to finish the World Cup and then be like, all right. Where am I on to next? Let me let's go set up for January first so I can be ready. For to go Manchester there. United, there's been a lot of injuries. Um, you know, players they had to start Lindelof again in this game, didn't have Maguire, didn't have Veron. So I think if they can get, you know, Lindelof off the team, they if they can get, you know, Veron and Martinez healthy in the second half of the season, they're gonna have a much better time, I think, than and, and are gonna make a real go for top four. You know, they've really set themselves up to make a go for top four. Because it didn't look that way in the first couple of games when they got blown out 4-0 by Brentford. You know, it looked like even losing 6-3 to uh, Manchester City, you thought, okay, this United side is going to have a, a really rough go of it till till January. But being in fifth place, you know, four points clear of, uh, of Liverpool who are in sixth, so a little bit of a gap, a little bit of a cushion, and only three points off top four, I think it's a great place for United to be after they uh, started so badly. And... Yeah, I mean they've only lost two games since they lost those the opening two games, and you know been been able to squeak wins here and there with uh, with a lot of injury issues, a lot of you know shit behind the background with Ronaldo and all that, the Greenwood stuff. I mean, there's just been so much chaos, honestly, at Manchester United. You know, switching managers, all of these things. Uh, you know, it's gonna it's, it's gonna lead to growing pains that. Hopefully now they're gonna. They, the, I think this break is gonna be good for them. You know, they get another month, six weeks to get under Ten Hag to get drilled into what what needs to be done, and it's gonna be. Uh, I think a much better second half of the season for United. Yeah, and I think what this game showed, even though like the the full team performance from Manchester United at Fulham, it wasn't especially great. Like you said, it the fair result probably would have been a draw, but. United obviously pulled it out. Despite that poor performance, Ten Hag does seem to have solved like one of the three parts of their spine that were a disaster for years before that. And he's, it's the midfield. The midfield now, on paper and in practice, it looks like one of the best midfields in the league with Casemiro, Christian Eriksen, and Bruno Fernandes dropping in uh, there every now and then. 
uh, Erickson obviously got the opener today, and Casemiro had like a pivotal tackle. Yeah, for I mean the their midfield's what tore us apart when we played them. You know that was the right. that was the. But then they the still they still have openings up top and at the back. You know whether it's you know the injury to Varane, he doesn't seem consistently fit enough for them to rely on playing Varane and uh, Martinez as the two center backs. So maybe they have to go sign someone in January that can uh, maybe a little bit of a younger player who's uh, more capable of playing more games at a high level. And then at the top of the pitch, their their goal scorer. They've haven't been able to rely on Martial. Though it seems like he's going to be the the first choice center forward when he's fit, but he keeps getting injured just for like two or three weeks at a time, and you know, sort of throwing off his own momentum. So we'll see if they address that in January. If they do, I, I think there's absolutely. A, Great chance that Manchester United make top four. They they look better than Chelsea. I'll, uh, I'll I'll tell you that, and I'm still having given up hope for Chelsea, even though that may be ill advised. Let's just uh, hit on some of the other results around the league before we close out today. Uh, Arsenal. We already mentioned they are top five points clear at Christmas. They went to Wolves and won two nil behind a Martin Odegaard brace on Saturday night. Liverpool got an expected win against Southampton, 3-1 at home. Uh, Southampton, we should mention, uh, did fire Ralph Hasenhutl. We uh, didn't mention that last week. Uh, we also didn't mention uh, before that Julian Lopetegui took over at Wolves, or he's about to take over at Wolves. Um, that's not really the most inspiring uh, hire for me from he Wolves. He just got fired uh, from Sevilla for a uh, pretty shit job. He also didn't did do win, well with Spain. did win the Europa League at Sevilla. Yeah, fair enough. So maybe he's, so he's maybe, got like maybe, eight yeah, maybe he could be okay. We'll see. But I, I'm still not that inspired by it. Uh, and then Southampton finally pulling the trigger on House and Huddle. That's uh, kind of unexpected, but uh, you you know they are in 19th place, three straight losses. So not not yeah. That and they uh, hired Nathan Jones from uh, Luton Town, who by all accounts seemed to have been doing a really good job at Luton. They were just off of getting promoted last season, but it still seems like a bit of a stretch. You know, he has zero Premier League experience. You think Southampton, with the amount of like young, promising players they have, they maybe could have gotten someone a bit more exciting. I don't even know who, but we'll see how that works out with Nathan Jones. But it's uh, it, it didn't look uh, great immediately against Liverpool. Maybe but, like Nuno, yeah, Nuno Spurs Santo doesn't have a job. That might have been a better, better yeah, guy to get in maybe. there. Maybe, but I, I think they don't want to be like the boring defensive team. You know, they want they want to be like a young, high-pressing, attacking team. And, you know, you're not going to get that with Nuno. But yeah, we'll probably talk about those more as things develop second half of the season when we come back. Leicester went to West Ham and got a 2-0 win. Uh, James Madison, uh, who was just fresh off uh, being included in England's World Cup squad, uh, scored the opener. Got injured and had to come off, but it looks like it's not any... Brendan Rodgers. It's too big of a deal. We got to give the guy a shout because... The way that Leicester started the season, they were rock bottom for the first eight or nine games. They are now in 13th place. They've gotten four out of the last five games wins and clean sheets in all of the wins. And just honestly, great, great job from Leicester so far. Great turnaround. Rodgers showed that he's still a great coach. Um, even you know losing key players to injury, losing Fofana you know, in, in, in the last day of the transfer window, 
you know, picking up someone like this Faust guy who suddenly has, has become a great center back for them so quickly. You know, I don't know where Leicester find these players, but huge shout out to them because uh, they've they've totally turned it around. And Danny Ward has like six or seven clean sheets now. It's ridiculous. They were rock bottom yeah, for the, the first laughing stock eight, eight, to yeah. one of the better goalkeepers. It's just a great, great turnaround for Leicester. Nottingham Forest got a 1-0 win at home against Crystal Palace uh, with uh, record signing Morgan Gibbs-White scoring the winner. And Bournemouth won 3-0 at home against Everton to continue their great start. And there's rumors that Bournemouth are in negotiations with Marcelo Bielsa. But I say, screw Bielsa, keep this caretaker guy. And uh, he, he's doing great. I should say his name, you know, it would only be fair. Gary O'Neill, he's technically the interim uh, coach, so not officially a caretaker manager. He's done a really good job there. And even when they've uh, lost certain games, they go down fighting. They don't roll over and, and let teams like pump them ever since, ever since that uh, Liverpool 9-0 or whatever it was. Um, so, yeah, good for them. Yeah, kind of surprising that they were able to shut out Everton and, and get such a big win. I mean, they've had an amazing start to their season, you know, I know they had a bunch of losses before this, a lot of close games, but like you said, they haven't just really gotten blown out at all. A lot of heartbreaking losses, but being in 14th place, 16 points at this point, it's not not, not the worst, not the worst for Bournemouth. There's a lot of teams that you would have thought would have been below them or above them, like West Ham, Everton, you know, even like Wolves and Nottingham Forest. So decent job from Bournemouth, and uh, I'd give them like a B, B for the first half of the season. I'd give them a B plus. Yeah. I would say decent. It's it's better than decent. It's pretty good. We were all picking them as like definitely going down. And at this moment, based off this form, uh, you wouldn't wouldn't think so. Uh, But we'll see how that holds up second half of the season. Javier, let's wrap things up there. We've got two more pods uh, coming later this week. So uh, you're sure to get plenty of us. We've got World Cup previews continuing. And the first game, the uh, first game against Qatar is Sunday. It's a week from Next today, Sunday. Guys. Yeah, week a, week, from today. a week from today. Jesus Christ. World Cup in November. Who would have thought? Part three of our uh, World Cup previews, uh, the preview of Group E and F. It's going to be coming. Uh, we'll probably record that on Tuesday. That'll be in your uh, feed on Wednesday morning, early Wednesday morning. Group E and F has, uh, well, in Group E is Spain, Germany, Japan, and Costa Rica. And Group F is Belgium, Croatia, Canada, and Morocco. So plenty for us to sink our teeth into there. And then Thursday night, we'll be recording the fourth and final World Cup preview for Groups G and H. Group G has Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. And Group H has Portugal, Uruguay, Ghana, and Korea. So keep an eye out for those. Tuesday morning and Friday morning Uh, and those groups are going to be playing their games last so you'll have like a full week to you know listen to those before those those teams kick off at the World Cup Javier thanks for jumping on this one I appreciate it if you want to follow Javier you can follow him on Twitter at JavierRev9 you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ASMoss92 and you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify please go ahead and drop a rating and a review those new ratings and reviews just help new listeners to find the pod and anything you guys can do to help us grow this thing would be greatly appreciated. Once again, keep an eye out for those World Cup preview pods later this week. And until next time, see you.